0: Hey, everyone. Welcome to this week's CISO Talk. I'm your host, James Azar. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's podcast. I have a very, very awesome show coming up. Um, Superman's dad's going to be joining us on today's episode. So we're going to talk about, you know, how did we get Superman? Uh, Jarrell uh, Van Oss will be joining me here in just a few moments. But before we get started on this week's episode, a few quick housekeeping notes make sure to one subscribe. If you're watching us on YouTube, subscribe, turn on the notification bell. If you're listening on your favorite podcast, listening platform, please subscribe to the show and give us a five-star rating that helps boost us up in the ratings and gets uh, in the rankings and ratings and helps get more people exposed to our content. So I'm very grateful if you could do that. If you haven't signed up yet, we have more podcasts on your favorite podcast listening platform, including the Cyber Hub Podcast, where I do a practitioner brief every single day, Monday through Thursday at 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And that's also live on YouTube, Facebook, and LinkedIn, just by following us at the Cyber Hub Podcast uh, page on either LinkedIn or uh, Facebook or on YouTube. So you want to make sure to get that done. We have an awesome, awesome episode today. You don't want to miss it. You really, really don't want to miss it because in about two seconds, we're going to kick off CISO Talk. Here we go, guys. You ready? Let's bring it on. From the Cyber Hub bunker in studio, you're listening to the CISO Talk podcast. No sales, no bullshit, just straight talk. Straight talk. And now for your host and CISO, James Azar. Jorel Van Oz, the CISO over at AgraSure. Welcome to this week's CISO Talk. Hey, James. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. First of all, what's it like to be Superman's dad?
1: Well, I think it's, this says more about you than it does about me. Only a certain kind of nerd knows the whole Jarell thing.
0: I will, I will be a nerd for the rest of my life. <laughs> That's um, fair. I will be a nerd for the rest of my life, and I'm proud of my nerdiness
1: as you, as you should be absolutely right but it, it is funny the specific you know groups that know that recognized my name as being superman's last name but i have i have my dad to blame for that so
0: so was your dad like a big superman
1: fan he's a big fan of weird names i think is what it comes down to
0: very very um versatile and i all have unique that, that is a very interesting fact I wonder how many uh, people are gonna now just like write you random things like hey Superman's dad <laughs> you know in the Middle East um, in, in, in in Arab culture and Islamic culture um, it is customary to call a um, a man once he's married and has a son you don't refer to him by his first name anymore mm-hmm. you refer to him as Abu meaning father of and the name. So we can refer to you as Abu Clark Kent. <laughs> or Kala. Or Kala. Yeah. I mean, just depends if we want to stay authentic. True. Right? Um, it's it's very cool. So thank you for coming on the show. I'm um, I'm very happy to have you on the show because you are one of the young Sissa voices among the the, the the very few that still um, that, that are here in, in in you know in the community. You know Naomi Buckwalter being another one, um, and and a few more. And so I'm very excited to kind of I'm, I'm excited to have you on the show. And and I want you to share with our audience a little bit about how you got started in cyber and your journey to becoming a CISO at a, at a very young age.
1: Yeah, so I mean a lot of it really starts before formal employment, for that matter. Um, getting interested in website design and not so much design off of that, but website hosting and server administration as a teenager for, you know, friends and bands, and then kind of scaling that out to a website, so hosting service, that, that and then from on, running that, you get used to WordPress sites getting hacked because people don't update their stuff. And so that kind of really started me on this journey of cybersecurity. Um, and then, you know, I, I got into telecommunications and cloud services, professional services provider, and excelled at that, uh, and that's where I made the tr- normal transition in cybersecurity, um, and then came over to AccraShare for our program here.
0: That's So how long have you been at AccraShare, and how long have you been in your current role?
1: Uh, a year and a half at AccraShare, and I've been CISO for a year.
0: So your first year on the job. So I want to talk about that just a little bit, because I think it's very interesting. Um, you know, where, where uh, people always talk about like the first 90 days, the first 100 days. And I think those are, you know, predominantly, I like to call it, that's the buzzword of starting something, mm-hmm. right? Like, you know, uh, presidents and politicians do that in my first 100 days. And you're like, yeah, what do you really know in the first 100 days?
1: <laughs> and that's what it is, right? It's learning. It's listening. It's it's not making decisions right away. It's understanding the business and their need.
0: Right. So that's why the first year is more interesting. Kind of speaking to someone who's been a year in the role. So let's play a little game here, all right? Because I want to get into leader. I want to get into kind of like leadership in just a moment. But I want to play a little game. So you got hired. You're the CISO. What did you think your first year was going to look like?
1: You know, I didn't have a ton of specific expectations as it was. Uh, about what it would look like, is more that I was just excited to be part of the team and that AccraSure is a place where people are excited to work and that I shared in that excitement. And that has definitely come true. But I didn't have a, a lot of expectations as to what that would be like, which is good because AccraSure is a really dynamic environment. We're always changing. Um, we're a really young company, especially compared to some of our peers that are well over hundred years old. Um, we're relatively young. So I think that makes a big difference
0: yeah um we're losing a little bit of your audio here and there Jurel. um like your voice is going up or down just slightly like the volume um if if you don't mind just slightly adjusting that um so you're you're a year later into the role right mm-hmm. what what would you tell your one year what would you tell yourself a year ago that you've learned over this last year
1: um I think that what I really admire about our leadership is the long-term strategic thinking and then their their value in people. Um, and that that means a lot to me. And so to really have known about that investment at a t- ahead of time would have helped me have that much more confidence moving forward because we really do have so much support from senior leadership and that goes a really long way. And the other thing is, and we find this out especially with, you know, COVID-19 is how Right. They
0: actually are, um, so I would say that would be what I would have wanted to do. Brilliant. So let's talk a little bit about leadership. So you're you've been in your uh, CISO role for about a year, and you're you're a fairly young uh, chief information security officer compared to like you know if we look at the curve um, in age, um, you're 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 right there among among us the youngsters. I think you know we're, we're the kinds that still go out until you know one a.m. Um, <laughs> Um, I'd like to say that some of our peers just, you know, call it a night at nine. Um, (laughs) um,
1: we don't, we don't go to sleep
0: or we, yeah, we We don't don't go go to sleep. That is, that is also very true. And we don't go to sleep and we still, you know, look halfway decent. We don't look tired as much. Um, let's talk a little bit about, you know, hiring and breaking into cybersecurity, what are some of the skills and qualities you look for when you're when you're looking to onboard people into your team? What are some of the key skills you're you're really interested in and looking for?
1: That's a great question. And we're actually I, I recently went to a, a virtual job fair uh, last week, and so it was really fun to participate with students. And we've been interviewing for interns lately. So just um, a and, and also a senior I am um, architecture role, but. With both of those, it was really interesting to just see what the candidates were like and then understand, you know, what their perspectives were. But for me, I mean, passion is probably, is, I mean, passion and integrity are number one um, because you're not going to know everything from the first day. Otherwise, you're going to get bored. Not that you'll, no one's bored at Aperture, but, you know, like I don't hire for what you have done. I hire hire for what you can do. So being passionate about cybersecurity is really important, especially to set yourself apart from all the other folks out there, like show me your product, show me what you're into. Like if you're into compliance, I want to know about that because that's cool. If you're geeking out about GRC, that's unique. And that and that needs you need to let that part shine. So find any way in an interview or in a resume or any other way you possibly can to show that you have a home lab, that you like messing around on VMs, Kali Linux, whatever it happens to be. Um, I think that's really essential uh, because we, as long as you're motivated to, to work hard. And, and continue to learn it and it um that's that's what's going to inspire you to be the best person that you can be in the job and that doesn't that's whether you're senior or the most junior person there. Is. it doesn't matter we, we all need to be like that
0: yeah yeah that does, i completely agree with the fact that um um passion is something really uh really important and and geeking out i think we were nerding out here a minute ago but when you look at um the idea of or the concept of really people you know coming into this industry you know and some of the challenges that exist in terms of you know the the i don't want to say the entry-level roles but the more transitional roles what is there any best practice you use to really kind of identify the hidden talent because i feel like cvs are just so like i feel like we've updated so much of our Life with technology, and then we've kept one process that
1: hasn't changed at all, and that's how we hire people. Yeah, that's that's a good question. So one of the things that I did, I think that was fairly unique in my last role, is I created something for people breaking into cybersecurity. I created a system of three or four scenarios, um, almost like D and D, if you want to again, where I kind of was going with that analogy, the dungeon master. And I gave them a real ticket or a real email or a real vulnerability where you didn't have to be extremely technical or have done this job a lot and ask them to look at it and tell me what they would have done. And you can do anything you want. You can call the cops. You can, you know, you can escalate to your supervisor. You can, what are you going to do when you see this vulnerability? And it was based on real things that I had done and seen as an analyst. So some of the key moments in my entire career, you know, some days we go we to work and that one day is, is pays for your whole salary in the year, right? So those kinds of moments are the ones that I try to capture and so just see what people's, see if they have that attention to detail that we needed and that they would actually dig in because something might be just what a normal support ticket but it might be actually crucial to the business's security. And so someone who has the judgment skills to make that determination, not necessarily technical skills, but the judgment skills to do that is really, really key. And and I think we've identified some really unique candidates that way, and we were make able to make some excellent hiring decisions. So I would say that that's a good way to do um, to do hiring, especially new folks transitioning in. Um,
0: yeah, I, I like that. That's that's really cool. I I really love that. That's <laughs> I'm glad I asked you that question. I may steal some of that. Um, or borrow it or use it myself. Um, so let's talk a little bit about our skills as as CISOs, right? Because you know, we talk a lot about what we look for in people, but one of the things I've noticed is a lot of the people that are in cybersecurity, because of the uh rapid growth and of of cyber are always looking for good leaders. So what are Key qualities that you think we need to have as CISOs in order to really succeed and have longevity in our roles?
1: Yeah, so I would say um, the first is caring about your team and hiring the right people and, and keeping them happy. I mean, I'm nothing without my team. Uh, they're completely really crucial to what we do. And I, I just, I love them, to be honest. Uh, and I'm really lucky that I have the team that I do. Um, I would say, so I would say that's critical. Another piece would be being able to tell the story to anybody in the company or outside the company. What What's the story of cybersecurity? A lot of people say it's a business, it's a business, it's a business, and it is. But what's your story? What's your journey? What are you, what are you going to tell? Um, I think that's really important and key and something that I've learned a lot about in the last year and a half. It's how it's um, to relate that to various stakeholders. And the last one I would say is strategy um strategy is really critical to what anybody does but just figuring out what, what is your network map really like what are you really trying to accomplish and then you know executing on that and then and also at the same time being adaptable because you know things are going to change very rapidly and having that flexibility is is, is crucial too
0: yeah th- that's that's absolutely right. So in your first year you kind of mentioned something a, a little bit ago on 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 the show and you talked about if you could tell yourself something uh, a year ago you'd say you know your senior leadership is there to support you and 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 look at that. So how you, more or less that's what you said. You said you, you kind of attributed something to senior leadership. So what have you done to really stand out as an enterprise leader um as a
1: CISO? Um, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, uh, it's difficult to talk my, about myself like that. I think in some ways, but, um, I think that is some, I think the team is really one really big piece of that. Um, because if I hadn't hired the right people, you couldn't tell that they have just the same amount of passion uh, and that much more technical knowledge than me. Um, I think that that's, that really sets me apart in what I've done, um, I would also say I'm willing to get my hands on the keyboard, not because it's like hundred percent necessary or that we need to, it's more that I really want to understand if you know, and have my team know and acknowledge that I'm I'm willing to go get my hands dirty and do do the same things as them, even if it's if it's some of the harder work or the, the work that we don't always want to do, because it will help me understand from their perspective too. Because how do I know if if I'm on the right path? Uh, and guiding them properly if I don't even know what it looks like to do their job effectively. So I I, will, I like to get I like to get hands on keyboard some of the time and get real involvement in some of the projects so that we have that understanding. I'd also say because our key stakeholders are our agency partners, um, so talking to them. So I'll randomly pick up certain trouble tickets and just call them and, and just try to understand the need because sometimes if you ask the five whys, you'll understand that. They didn't ask for administrative rights on their computer. It turns out they didn't need that. They asked for it, but it's because if you ask why and why and why and why, back far enough, you realize that what they're actually the problem they're trying to solve. And you realize how cybersecurity can help solve it and, and be more of a, I know it's a, a, a kind of a buzzword, but you know, be a business enabler, which is really our key. We don't want to be a cost reducer. We, we want to enable the business, and that's really important to what we do.
0: I really like that. That's, um, that's a a very good way to look at it is to be a, be a business enabler and and not just a cost center when you kind of, you know, when you look at just different industries in general, um, and some of them security could be a critical business enabler and also a business revenue driver. And in some of the other ones, that's not really the case kind of being that you're in, I want to say, you know, um, the, the, the kind of the health tech field per se. Um how do you see cyber defined in 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 kind of your vertical?
1: It, within the like fintech or insurance space? Yeah. I mean I, I think it means different things to different businesses. Um, and it really depends on organizational priorities and, and strengths. Um and so I know that for for Across it is it is a key strength of ours. And it's what's important about it too is that we can help the business take on certain risk and make certain changes because we have our strong security so one of the things that we so this transformation to be the most tech-enabled broker in the world um, that requires you know that requires us uh, a strong team backing them and so that I'd love that I have that opportunity to help be a part of that because without it how do you make that digital transformation how do you make that transformation to to really move the industry forward in terms of, you know, you can get, you can buy all the AI and ML in the world and you can do all the research and it's awesome. You have to have
0: something behind it. Yeah, and, and sorry for saying health tech. I don't know what I was thinking there for a moment. I'm like, fintech, that's right, fintech. I don't know why I was thinking health tech. That is uh, that is my brain wandering off sometimes. You got to bring it back to earth. Project you know, you- those people though, right? you know what that's like Jarrell, right? Like, you know, your brain just wanders off and then, you know, you've got to send kal you know, away from, from your own planet to planet earth. And he's got to be the superhuman on planet earth. And.
1: Absolutely. I'll, I'll go with that analogy. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
0: Let's talk a little bit about cybersecurity. Right. And, um, you know, cyber has a lot of different disciplines within it. And and as a new CISO kind of being in your role for a year, where did you spend the most time over the last year? What aspect of cyber did you spend the most time on?
1: Yeah, without getting into too much detail, um, I think a lot of it has to do with you know governance, risk, and compliance. You have the ever-evolving um, landscape there. You know, like cyber threats are evolving, but a lot of the TTPs at the end of the day are quite similar, um, but the, the GRC, especially with compliance and you know with with uh, being the most acquisitive insurance broker in history, we were, we're moving into new territories, and as part of that, we have to be able to understand where we're moving um, and and be flexible there. So I, I would say that that would be one of the top ones for
0: sure. Um. I love that. So what do you talk about? Let's talk a little bit about GRC because GRC is kind of for, for those who don't know what GRC is and, and they're listening, it's governance risk and compliance. It's what we like to call the Excel part of the business, <laughs> right? Um, I'm starting a movement and, and, and it's called Excel anonymous. How can we get rid of excels? <laughs> you know, and, 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 I'll be the first to admit, hi, my name is James Cesar. And I'm addicted to Excels, and it's been zero days since I've been Excel-free.
1: Agreed. I don't think we'll ever get away from that. But, I mean, isn't it, isn't it so key to what, you know, GRC functions? But having a tool as well is really helpful for that.
0: So. Yeah, there's uh, – I'm going to issue a challenge on that real soon. You yep. know, kind of like the idea of of could we get rid of Excels and security?
1: You know, Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. That's a that's a school for thought though. But what what advantages will it really get us? I mean, like, yeah, having everything in Excel is not always great, but or not everything, but you know, a lot of things. But what alternative, what are we really gaining versus what's the opp- the opportunity cost? Because this doesn't seem like it was worthwhile.
0: So I think that depends on the business. And I think that's why verticals vary when it comes to this stuff. Um you know, and and I don't know, and I don't want to turn this discussion into is an Excel good or bad? I really <laughs> want to talk about GRC. Um, yeah, let's
1: talk about GRC.
0: So, so let's talk a little bit about GRC. Um, you know, a lot of people find GRC to be very mundane. And in fact, it's kind of like the, um, maybe the checklist of security, but not really actual security. How do you view GRC? And how is GRC really part of your security program?
1: Well, a GRC, I mean, I and I understand why it gets a, that kind of wrap because, I mean, compliance is not security and security is not compliance, right? But at the same time, it is a core of what we do. I mean, being compliant with the regulatory environment is completely essential to, to any business's operations, right? So, um, so how, And it also enables us, too, because it helps us get resources to do the things we already knew we needed to do for security. So I don't really view it as a bad thing. I view it as an enabler for security. I, and I will, I will use that to my advantage every time.
0: That's um. So th- that's very interesting because you're right. Compliance is not security, but compliance is a business enabler, right? If you're not compliant, you probably can't be in business.
1: But you can be. I mean, you can be an Uber or whoever. I mean, they had to take those risks. That's, that's part of what they were doing, but... But it, it's, it's certainly a risk. And you have to understand whether you want to accept that risk or mitigate it or transfer it, you know, et cetera. So absolutely.
0: So let's talk a little bit about governance. Because I think governance is when people put GRC together, right, I get why risk and compliance could be in one category. Right? To me, the G feels almost out of place. Because <laughs> governance is really strategy. It's really policy. Mm-hmm. And it's less about compliance because your policies may be attributed a little bit to compliance, but it's really more about running your security program effectively. W- what are some of the key aspects of governance? You, do you, do you kind of agree with that statement or, or do you think I'm, I'm off base there?
1: Uh, no, I think I haven't really given a lot of thought to this because I think you're right. We think about risk and compliance before we think. So it does feel a little bit off. But I'd say governance is really one of the things that kind of encapsulates a whole organization. Like as CISOs, we're trying to defend against things like wire fraud, but governance is a re- really big part of that. So you know your your email security tool is not ever going to be 100% because none of them are. We know that BEC is a problem. We know that account takeovers are a problem. So how do we defend against that? So part of that is having really strong controls, financial controls, about how we conduct wire. transfers or I think that... You know, it is still a core component and then policy and procedure does help feed into that. so but it does feel like it's a little bit on the side of the risk and compliance piece, but it's it's still it's super essential to what we do too.
0: yeah, that's awesome. um and, and that's a really good point when you kind of look at governance in in in, in that perspective. but you know i'm 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 in I, I live in a school of thought where I feel like um, GRC is not only a critical part of security, um, a lot of the compliance eventually rolls under security in one way or another. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, we're seeing more and more of that now, especially, you know, post some of the recent cyber incidents that we've seen that have really kind of are now transforming the way organizations look at you know GRC as a whole, because you know you're right about two things. Governance has its own um, its own little piece when it comes to um, to to risk and compliance and strategy, but it's it's also a a, a critical driver of of making security as a business enabler. All
1: right. Okay.
0: So we talk about you talked about BECs and uh, a, a few weeks ago the FBI released their 2021. Uh, IC3 report for 2020, and it was like 1. Almost eight billion dollars it, it
1: jumped. I mean, then to no one's surprise, right? But it was huge, a huge jump. Well, think of—I
0: mean, it's—it's it's made BECs much more uh, easier to perform today because people are working from home. There's no office interaction. There's no one
1: questioning something. Yeah, potentially. I think it's—it's it's also just—it's that profitable. So why not?
0: But it's profitable for, you know, if, if they're making $1.8 billion, that's reported, right? That's that's the numbers from the FBI are numbers that were reported to IC3. That's a that's a <laughs> small fraction of a really bigger problem. Um, you can almost multiply that number by 10 or by 100. And I, I don't know that anyone would argue with you if you said it's not $4.3 billion, it's $430 billion. Uh, i I don't know that anyone would argue against you on 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 that claim
1: either right certainly certainly tremendously high right
0: but but BECs are easy to do they're easy to do they're not only profitable but the cost of a of a BEC attack is really you know you don't go outside
1: the email aspect of a relationship. I learned to hack when you can learn to send someone an email you don't need zero days no, you don't. Right? Like Google, um, they invented essentially, you know, uh, you know, the security keys and U- U2F, FIDO2. About bought then. they co-invented that with Yubico and then they gave it to their 100,000 employees and contractors, so, which makes them virtually remote account takeover crew, right? And that they still suffered from a massive BEC attack, an extremely sophisticated one. So even when they made it impossible, effectively, virtually impossible, I'll say, because we don't say impossible in our field, to you take over their accounts remotely. They, they, st- they, this was still the way to get in even with some, a company with such tremendous cybersecurity strengths.
0: So you're talking about the theoretically impossible.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, so, so in six or seven years or whatever it is that, that security keys have been around, no one has done. To to anyone's knowledge, a a uh, account takeover, a remote account takeover, which is usually one of the things we're trying to guard against, on a an account guarded just with the security key, like like for instance with Google's advanced protection program. So those those keys, because they're you know use public key cryptography, they they are they do have, they are the strongest form of MFA. So we say that nine you know the the rest of forms are up to ninety nine percent. of That one's so far. I know there was a recent attack where someone figured out how to effectively clone a key, but you have to take the key apart. You have to spend hours on it and you have to have extremely advanced skills. And then you just cloned it, which is great. But the main thing that we're trying to, most folks are trying to protect against is remote account anyway, not physical threats. Because if you have a physical threat actor inside your building or with access to your stuff, you're already in a world of hurt. Right? Yeah, but we're trying to we're trying to prevent somebody far away from taking over our stuff. Typically, in an email environment, for instance.
0: So, when when we kind of you know that that's a that's a wonderful explanation, by the way, to to kind of dealing with BECs, because for for a lot of organization, you know, it's it's a numbers game, right? How many e- how much is my email security solutions keeping out? of people's inboxes and how much is making it in and then what's making it in how dangerous is it and is are there other things I can do to stop it you know on a on a BC what most people don't don't really know is um I think one of the things in the FBI report one of the hidden nuggets I saw was that almost 87% of successful BECs were all plain text emails.
1: Hmm. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, those those uh payloadless attacks. They're particularly mm-hmm. difficult to detect. For yeah. traditional stuff, especially I got new tags.
0: So you get a plain text email with, you know, banking information. You don't think twice about
1: it. I'd say account. T- so there's, there's BC and there's ATO, right? right? Not every BC ATO or vice versa. But the, the ones where you combine them too, those, those are particularly difficult to detect, you know, and then there's no attachment. There's no payload because it's coming from who it's supposed to come from because it's an ATO. It uh, came from the same. It came from the same account you're we expecting the same IP addresses. So yeah, I've, absolutely. That's 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 always a challenge, and that's why that's why it's kind of getting getting at in the, on the government side. We got have a lot of multiple layers there. I love how
0: you typed that in. That's brilliant. Let's talk about a security project you enjoyed working on. Has there been one project that's really stood out for you? Maybe not in your current role, but maybe in something you've done in the past.
1: Um. I don't know. I really, I just really like, I, I really love <laughs> running with these kinds of programs. You know, to modernize things. I like, um, I like improving existing controls and systems. So I think that it's it's really difficult to pick one, but email security though, because it's something that, you know, everyone's concerned with is I'd say it's close to my heart. Um, so that's, that's uh, without getting into those details. I think that's one of my favorite projects to work on.
0: I love it. So let's talk a little bit about cybersecurity in general, right? And so I'd say we've done, we've made some really positive steps towards really solving a lot of security challenges. In your opinion, what security challenge do you think we've done enough to address to a point where it's now, I don't want to say you don't think about it, but you go, we can do all we can do for that one specific threat?
1: <laughs> can you think of any like that? That's an interesting question.
0: You know, I think there's a few challenges we've really done very well with, um, and 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 you're reversing the question on the interviewer yeah. rather than sure. answering it as the interviewee. Yep. I sure. saw what you were doing, Superman's dad. You're welcome. I... <laughs> so, so I will tell you what I think we're doing well, and 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 you can kind of you know we'll go down a list of a few things, and you can say agree, disagree, and why. I, I like that. Let's do that. All right. Um. Cyber awareness within the human workforce. I think we're doing that very, very well. We've, uh, we're at a point right now where I think cybersecurity awareness beyond the stupid phishing tests, right? Um, just the idea of awareness and, 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 um, uh, organizational culture, security cultures, really improving leaps and bounds, uh, every hour of every day.
1: Yeah. I would say there's a pretty vast acceptance of those programs too. You know, they're not particularly controversial. But the effectiveness is certainly something that that needs to be continuously tweaked, and the targetedness, you know, like when you sweep the whole company with the same training video, like, you know, how effective is that? That sort of thing. How do do you get more granular so you can really communicate what needs to be communicated to those particular stakeholders and groups?
0: Yeah, I mean, I I customize it um, personally. Um, I customize the stuff that that I do from an awareness perspective. Um, I also look at awareness a little different um and so when i do phishing tests i don't care who clicks i care who reports
1: yeah absolutely same right reporting i mean i think that if you have some repeat offenders potentially have some need to have some conversations there but yeah absolutely the the vast the biggest statistic is who's reporting because otherwise you can ramp the difficulty up and down you know like is it and it's kind of weird because you can you can play both ways at it if you want, like, oh, no one clicked, therefore I'm awesome at training, or lots of people clicked, I'm awesome at training, or I'm, or I'm bad at making, or I'm really good at making bad phishing emails. Like, it's all over the place. I, I think too, we some of us suffer from a situation, especially with some of the larger players. If you don't customize their user awareness training and phishing simulation, users get just used to the simulations. They don't get used to phishing, uh, and I think we've got to be cautious of that.
0: Yeah, I completely agree with what you just said. So here's another one for you. Um, EDR and and antiviruses. I think we've reached a point where um, there's nothing that anyone can bring to me now that would be different than what's already in the marketplace. Maybe a a thing here or or there. But I think, you know, most EDR and then some EDR people are going to, like, write me hate mail now. Yeah. But, 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 you know, maybe that's
1: their problem and not mine. Sure. I mean, i th- I would say there's different tiers, right? You got you still have legacy antivirus, right. you got some EDR, and then you have some real EDR, right? So, and so for those of us with real EDR, I'd say, yeah, that's kind of a or like, yeah, we got that. But I, I would also say that we have to continuously be tuning it to and and giving a feedback loop. And I believe in feedback loops for basically everything. So if a single email, a phishing email or malicious email gets missed, it needs to be submitted to the email security company. So that way they can figure out why they missed it. If uh, a piece of malware or um, a particular technique was missed or, or vulnerability was exploited, any of that, that needs to be sent to the EDR vendor. So like, you have to continuously have those feedback loops or they're not going to improve and you're not going to know why there was those misses. And that's how you're going to strengthen those particular programs. And if you have a real number that's also a true partner, you are really going to, to go about these things. And they're going to make those improvements that you ask for.
0: Yeah, I uh, I completely agree with that. I've got nothing to add. You said that perfectly. Um, well done. Um, so we've talked EDR, we've talked awareness. Let's, uh, you know, let me give you another one that I think we're doing fairly well. And this one's going to be a little bit controversial. Okay. Um, OK, cloud security,
1: cloud, I think cloud security.
0: security tools are um, all the tools are available on all aspects. And it's 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 about the expertise of uh, implementation. I don't think we have the workforce to really um, uh, apply all the existing cloud security tools that are out there today that I think do a pretty decent job of securing your cloud environment.
1: Yeah, cloud security, that is a fun one, a controversial one. And I like it, though. I really like it because there's some ways that some people, they can't stop talking about how bad cloud security is, but like it's given us so many enhancements at the same time. Open buckets are and unfortunately continue to be a big problem. And I think that's ridiculous, not even necessarily from the practitioner's perspective, but from the cloud providers that have allowed those to happen. I know that by now, most of the defaults are now like secure, right? But that that went on for years, and they're just like, well, the customer didn't do it. And we're like, yeah, I know, but like, have you seen this stuff? So, but I think that we're we finally moved past that. And most of those buckets are from way back when, right? But I I think that other ways too, like, who wants to maintain your own key infrastructure? Like that's that's a whole thing, and you have to be extremely good at it. Do you want to develop that competency, or do you want to put it in one of the big, you know, the big three cloud comp- compute providers and and call it a day? Um, I think that that's a that's one of the real strengths that we get. Another thing is, you know, with some of these technologies like you know, we have continuous access evaluation, you just click a button and now your whole organization is a little bit safer. Like that's pretty cool. Um, and That's the kind of enhancement that the cloud's really getting us that we didn't have before. So I would I would argue that I don't like the naysayers in that space. So I would I would agree with your your controversy there
0: uh you, you know I this also has to do, I think a little bit with the fact that um security by design in the cloud is much easier to implement than anywhere else.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I mean, especially when you don't you don't have to patch uh, in some in, depending on where we're talking about, but for some things, you know that that does certainly is the case absolutely. And when it's just there and, and that that also helps. and when when the defaults are strong,
0: yeah, so where do you still see a challenge? You kind of I've kind of talked about some stuff where I think we're doing well. What's one area that you still see a challenge in?
1: I mean, I if you if we want to go back to the FBI report, I mean that will just show you. Um, but I would say that also just some folks just need they need the resources that they need to dedicated security staff. I think that really makes a big difference on for any organization. So, you know you have to you have to hire them and then you have to. enable them. And that could that, be a game changer for some of the small organizations or medium-sized organizations out there. Because look, uh, you see, obviously, ransomware, all these things, they, they're increasingly profitable and they work. Um, so so it's, it's, I can't sit here and say that that's not a problem. It definitely is. Yeah. I, otherwise, I, otherwise, the FBI report would have been like, yeah, no, BC is going down. Is it going neck down next year, James? The year after that? I don't I don't think so. You know when, is it, like, when do you think that trend's finally going to reverse for ransomware in BC? I It's going to be a little...
0: I think I I think it'll only reverse when we have deterrence. Which and trend? right now the reason we have so much cybercrime is because we have very little deterrence. We have very very little deterrence. We have maybe 10 or 15% of the victims actually reporting it. And I think that's a real, I think that's where the challenge lies. I think if we create deterrence, meaning.
1: From a legislative perspective? From a
0: legislative perspective to the criminals. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in, in 1994, they passed a crime bill. So I proposed in 2021 that we pass a cybercrime bill. And it says that if you perform any level of cybercrime over $1,000, that that's a felony with. Uh, a 20-year jail sentence, and people are going to be like James, you're crazy. But guess what? Only then will it not be worth it for someone to do it, because the the people who are sitting in Romania, Bulgaria, um, who who do this, Ukraine, Russia, China, uh, Nigeria, Ghana, South Africa, um, in in Iran, in North Korea, if they know that if they're if 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 the US catches on to them. And now they can't leave their country they're in, because if they do, they're probably going to get arrested and extradited and face 20 years in an American prison. They're probably going to think twice or three times before being part of a cybercrime organization. And I'm talking about cybercrime, not nation states.
1: Yeah, nation states are a whole other situation, aren't they?
0: Yeah, I think nation state deterrence is a little different, but I'm talking about the cybercrime bill of 2021.
1: In, I, yeah, I feel like that international collaboration aspect is going to be one of the trickiest things. I, I've heard from the FBI that even in some countries, DDoSes aren't illegal. They're effectively completely fine. Um, you're just throwing resources. It's just more than they wanted. Um, that seems like a real problem. Whether we pass something or not, it's not illegal there um, to 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 cause that crime to go down. And then the nation-state problem is, is, is in as he touched on is a big one. And then I was reading recently too about some nation-state threat actors would actually moonlight and do their own like ransomware on the side using code that they did during their day job for the nation-state. So it looked like it was like the same nation-state or something like that, but it wasn't. It was actually a separate threat actor who happened to share some code. Um, well, I think that, that's that, fascinating.
0: But I think that's why you need to do two aspects of deterrence. Right, you got to have a nation-state deterrence, and and I've spoken about this extensively on our CISO um, talk podcast, uh, clubhouse room, um, and so we talk a lot about it there, and and you know I don't want to go into too much detail on it on the show because well we don't have enough time, uh, number one, uh, to talk about nation-state deterrence because that does require uh, finesse, legislation, diplomacy, um. And a lot, a lot of those different things. It all it also requires kind of a buy-in from the private sector, because the only way the uh, a legislative body can create deterrence is by getting the private sector to sign on to the legislat- legislation, and sign on to the economic consequences of something that happens from a nation state, right? Yeah From regular. a
1: nato involved you gotta get Congress involved. I don't, don't so say bad. the
0: word nato or un to me i think those are the two most worthless i think nato um has lost the nato and the un were what i like to say how you said it earlier um virtual uh protection kind of like virtually impossible you know in concept they were virtually good in reality they're about as worthless as 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 as, as it comes uh, because I feel like you know we we've seen the tyranny over the last decade globally, and we've seen exactly what they've done, and that's been pretty much nothing. So, and I'm not saying this should go to war, but I'm saying that NATO should, if if the NATO and the UN were to have some level of 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 really effective deterrence, that have to have some teeth, which. You know, as a global organization and, and, and for the sake of sovereignty, they don't and they shouldn't have any teeth because I don't want to be ruled by someone. I don't want someone determining what I, as an American in my own country, can or cannot do.
1: But you want to go the, to all the other countries and do that. Well, I, I,
0: sometimes uh, we're getting we're getting down the wrong rabbit hole here. Yeah. <laughs> um um, that, that's a very interesting conversation, and I'm willing to, to have that debate because you know I spent time in the military and in intel, and, and and I do understand where what you're saying is coming from. But at the same time, international cooperation doesn't start with the UN; it starts with allies. So when the US passes a crime bill, that then the let's say the UK and Australia and New Zealand and um, Ireland look at it and go. That's our crime bill too. Or Canada, sorry, not Ireland, Canada. The Five Eyes, our our traditional five allies, right? Um, And all five of those allies go, you know what? That's a crime bill. We're all going to pass it. It's going to be extraditable in all of our nations. Well, very quickly on, the entire EU will sign on. And at that point, you've taken every place people want to go vacation off their list. (laughs) So... And 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 remember that there's a lot of threat actors that operate within the EU. That if the cybercrime bill is adopted within the EU, would be significant. It would it would really create a lot of deterrence. And I'm not saying it'll stop it, right? But I'm saying that it would eliminate a good portion of it because it wouldn't be worth it. Very similar to why robbing a bank isn't worth it.
1: Right. Or
0: it's not- right, it's a deterrent. If you get caught robbing a bank, you may make it off with some money. But if you get caught, you're going to 20 years.
1: As long as as long as we're talking about the physical crime of robbing a bank. It's electronic. Right. It's a whole other situation, isn't it? But you're but, trying but, to say, but, right. let's get that. Let's get that part, too. Yeah, but yeah, let's I, get that I, part, too. And I agree that the, the cooperation aspect is really important. And didn't we basically just see that, And it, but just in a lot more piecemeal fashion with, what? Was it Emotet that got taken apart? or you know, Yeah, so of- Emotet got taken
0: apart. You saw the uh, messenger um Uh, get taken apart a few weeks ago as well in europe and that was a dutch belgium and uh, german and french cooperation to take down an encrypted messenger that you know threat actors were using and go in and and, and do arrests but that shows you how these threat actors operate i mean that shows you that if you had a cyber crime bill if you they don't have any deterrence right now zero and when they go to court Right. They've made so much money, they can afford the best lawyers, they end up getting out on bail, they go through the, judici- the judicial process, and at the end of it, they may get five years. I mean, I, I saw like this week, there were a bunch of stories of, of, of cyber criminals getting 12 months in jail, 10 months in jail. That's not a deterrence. Mm-hmm. If I, I think, if I if I went to someone if I went to you Jarell and put on your your black hat for a moment right you're <laughs> answering in hypothetical fashion and I said here's ten million dollars and you'd have to be in jail for a year and you get to keep your ten million dollars would you do it
1: right sure I think most people would say yes to that or a lot of people would certainly a lot yeah and I I, I can definitely see where you're coming from there yeah, and, and and more are more for and I can see the advantages to of formalizing with legislation those connections between these groups of countries. So that way we don't it doesn't have to be just a special task force or emotet. It can be a continuous collaboration against all cyber criminal criminals of these kinds of groups. Although I'd be careful too that like for instance the the and I don't, I don't remember the gentleman's name, but the guy who effectively yeah, stopped WannaCry, I don't know if you saw that, yeah, that yeah yeah. It's really long it extensive Last guy though that I want to be like, let's put this guy in prison for the rest of his life, right? And and that all that came kind of close to happening, because though, and yeah, that's he's a really good guy, but based on everything, he's well, done he, initial he, stuff, right? So he didn't even make that much money. He started off as
0: a bad guy. Yeah, became a good guy. Yep, right. Did really good things, mm-hmm. but the criminal justice system doesn't ignore bad things because you're doing good things. Yeah,
1: but I feel like you, you have to have some sort of uh, rehabilitation, right? It, it should be a thing. And that is that is weighed into most sentencing sentencing programs. So like, how have they reformed since? Or how do they reform while they're in jail? I mean, those are real things. I just wouldn't, I while I want to deter or discourage, you know, dumb kids. I mean, he's like in his 20s, started out his teens, I think doing that kind of thing and, and have them understand the gravity and the consequences of cybercrime. I, I still wouldn't want to be like, let's throw all these kids in jail for decades. So, um, yeah, I I don't know they're that you're not the nation state and they're not the like the they're not the you know but but, but today but,
0: but I think you, you you bring up a very interesting point here, which is not, I don't think any of us want to take an eighteen year old um kid who did a cybercrime ring on his own, who's a genius and send him to jail. And there's actual a use case to that. Frank Abagnale jr. The sure. guy from catch me. If you can, he was an expert at check fraud. The guy did the best check fraud ever seen globally. Right. And he ended up doing like three years in jail. And then he came out and he had a job at the FBI and he works at the FBI until today.
1: Yep, yeah, exactly.
0: So I agree with the reform piece. Um, but they also um didn't have um check fraud regulation they they i think they didn't have any laws on the book for when he was doing check fraud cuz check was checks were so new sure. back then right they passed the uh, they passed a law after he got caught because he only got 3 years in jail because they couldn't get more than 10 for him hmm. And that's that's the problem we have today with uh, computer crime bills is the the sentencing is very lenient, so there's very little deterrence. And that's why I think we need more deterrence. But now we get to my favorite part of the show, Uh Jure. We get to our uh, CISO Insight round, our (laughs) flash round of getting to know you on a more personal level. And I want to start off by inviting you to join me in my buzzword graveyard. It's full of buried buzzwords. Which buzzword would you like to bury in the buzzword graveyard?
1: I was supposed to remember this because it's so hard to pick, but at the same time, like, do we really commit something like zero trust to the graveyard when it is still, it just shouldn't be, vendors need to put it in their own respective graveyard. It's still, it's still an idea. It's still a goal. It's still a journey more than anything, but it's not a product. Uh, I think that we can put that as as a concept as a, as a product there. Um, I know someone on my team is very vocal about saying XDR um, because it's like, is this just your souped up EDR? But like, <laughs> it, you know, it's like a Mustang GT. Yeah. yeah like, <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. You put an X there, but I, and I understand like where that's going, but I don't know if we, we all would agree that it's, it's there at the vision of what it is. Is there also like, well, don't rip out your SIM though. i are like, well, if you're not replacing my SIM, then is it, like how, how many more complimentary products do you want to offer? I would say it's more. It's more like it's more these these particular phrases phrases that vendors use that I want to commit to the graveyard more than anything. I think I see in every call: asking about the weather. Can we do that? Don't don't ask me about the weather. Ten minutes of introductions. Don't need that. I, I for my team and I, I do um, I do a now famous introduction where I spend thirty seconds introducing my team and I. Because so, that gets that's the biggest time savings of my week. I now spend, you know, I, it saves me a couple hours every week on <laughs> introductions.
0: I, I, I like that. I also think that, um, you know, I tell vendors that if you're going to have more than two people on the call, um, I only give 15 minutes. But I think if you're going to have more than two people, then um, that's just not the right thing for me right now. Um, two people, let's get it done. And, and be, be.
1: well, what if, what if they don't have the right people? You're like, Where's your technical person? I don't want to, I don't want the introduction call to get to the people who know who know the actual product.
0: So I, I don't, I don't do intro goals. If, if, okay. if, if it's not, a, if it's not a solutions engineer on the call, I don't get on the call to begin with. Um, and, and I think that's a standard, that's an expectation. So when, you know, uh, a vendor books on my calendly link, they typically get an email. If, especially if it's you know for a pitch that says if you don't have your technical guy on the call, um, and we don't see his invite and his info, then we're 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 not going to show up. Right. We're just not yes. going to show up. Agreed. Your Dan website and, I, and videos tell me everything I need to know. I don't need you to explain to me what I saw on your website. I have specific questions of why I want to speak to you.
1: Yeah. Agreed. Yeah, I saw, I saw, a, and then you had, the, I think it was you that had that question too about, you know, how do you, if it's a new startup, how do you evaluate them? How do you say yes to those calls in the first place? Yeah. And that's why I think that the, the peer aspect is really important because individually you and I, we can't evaluate the hundreds of thousands of st- startups that call us and email us every day. But if we find something good, we can tell each other about it.
0: Yeah, I think that's one of the challenges that exists for us CISOs today is is our ability to gain information if you're not on this Slack channel or if you're not in this Discord room um you know you're probably not in the loop as much and I think that's a that, that that's a real challenge. Let's talk about one technology that'll change the way we do cyber.
1: Hmm. Um I mean I would still say the cloud Um, Just because it evolves and sometimes allows us those one click transformations. So again, the haters, the naysayers, I I, I get it. The buckets, blah, blah, blah. But when it comes down to it, it still enables us to do tremendous things right out of the box and not have to maintain all the infrastructure. I had a SIM in a previous life. uh, I spent more time maintaining the SIM than actually using it. I don't, I don't do on-prem sims for that reason because they're maintaining the infrastructure is a pain. So I'd say the cloud is the game changer there. Um, so, yeah, controversial, I guess. So, not really, though. Shouldn't be.
0: I love that. Um, yeah, I, 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 I like that you said cloud. A lot of people typically say, like, quantum and AI, and there's nothing wrong with that. But... I think the the natural evolution of the cloud is going to be to the fact where you're not going to need a SIM um, anymore. I think if you're a SIM provider right now, you you better bet on the legacy businesses who are always going to need you and understand your – I was speaking to a VC about this yesterday. Mm-hmm. Because he, I, 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 I kind of do a little side gig of working with VCs, and one of the VCs said, "Hey, James, um, evaluate the sim technology for me. We're thinking of investing in it." And I was like, "You know, no, don't just walk <laughs> away, man." Yeah. He goes, "Why?" And I was like, "Because in five years, sim isn't going to be a reality." And he goes, yeah, and you I,
1: thi- I would also argue, you know, we see sim move to cloud, but then you have the, well, at least two of the three big cloud providers sell their own sims. And now you you always have to pay AWS like you're always paying them they're they, they're cutting into your margins all day long so like what's where's the model there is is problematic the, the big three can gobble you up or eat your lunch yeah we talk about the quantum thing for a second yeah because the quantum for quantum I think and obviously I'm no expert on this and I don't know too many experts on this but like. The, the thing is, it's going to be a lot like TLS 1.0 to 1.1 to 1.2, to 1.3, because it's just another, you know, we see weaknesses in the algorithm. There's all these things that are being predicted. So we move to post quantum or quantum resistant encryption, right? It's just an algo like any other before. So instead of doing so, AES 250 or, you know, AES 256, or, you know, we, we got rid of RC4, all these things, we retired old cipher suites. So we're going to instead, we're going to eventually start to retire the existing cypher suites and do ones that are resistant to both quantum.
0: So people, whenever they hear about quantum, so I could give you a few names of people who are unbelievable when it comes to quantum. One of them is Chris Lindbergh. He's over at the CDC. He's their technology and innovation officer. I've had him on the show. Uh, you can go back and we did an, uh, an hour and 45 minute discussion on quantum. And um, I've read now, I think over fifteen or sixteen books on quantum. I've done my own research on quantum, and and I feel like when when security people talk about quantum encryption, I think that's one aspect of quanti- quantum in general and yeah there's already uh post-quantum algorithms like that are resistant to that kind of stuff that's um that's already deployed um uh, dod's had it for years so that just tells you how they're doing well, with quantum
1: players had it for years yeah yeah, yeah. You just use um what super isogeny elliptical curves or um or yeah, less. yeah.
0: yeah. The, 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 there's a bunch of different things that can be used I see quantum as changing because I think quantum is going to change the way we receive, get data and interpret data. So what you think today would take us maybe three or four days to pull together all the different data points and report them, that would not be the case anymore in quantum because we'd get those results in a matter of seconds, if not a minute. At worst. Yeah, depending
1: on if it's like the traveling salesman problem or what problem we're trying to solve, yeah,
0: yeah, I, I, I think even beyond that, I think even from a cyber perspective, um, one of the use cases I'm working on with the university for, as we kind of look at quantum from a security perspective, is could I have an engine that's powerful enough to process millions of data points per second and show me the trends? Right there, so that I can, so that I can solve them,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and know the threat that's coming my way. And I think that's right. going to be, I think that's going to be very interesting. But, but yeah, quantum's quantum's fascinating, man. I geek out on quantum. The <laughs> nerd in me comes out when we talk about quantum. I I, I looked at I just, quantum. I just
1: I just don't think of it as a sky is falling. Like Shor's algorithm, everything breaks. And I'm just like this. Although no. it is a game changer, we're just upgrading like we always have quantum we, this, we know this notice way ahead of time we're going to switch those algos it's going to be important, but we're going to get there
0: yeah i i don't see quantum as being something where it's, it's not a chicken little skies falling scenario um quantum is a uh, tesla doing zero to 60 in 3.2 seconds
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> agreed yeah i like that okay analogy. it's
0: it's 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 an electric car doing zero to 60 in 2.9 seconds is unheard of, but a Tesla on ludicrous mode does that. So yeah. did, did, did that eliminate all other cars is every car you <laughs> see on the road, a Tesla. No. And, and quantum's going to be the same thing. Some businesses will adopt quantum computing and use it. I don't think, Quantum in the first two or three decades of use will be widely used. Like people think like you and I won't have a quantum computer at home. Quantum will be in large data centers. It'll be in, um, uh, um,
1: the it, cloud. It'll be API based,
0: you know, I mean, yeah, it'll be API based and and you'll get access to it. Um, and, and, and it'll kind of be the engine. So you'll, you'll be plugging into it. Um, you know kind of like a charging port almost <laughs> like like that's i mean everything i've seen tells me the sky's not falling and it also tells me that it's 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 the only thing it's really going to do is if you're thinking of a career in cyber and something else do a career in cyber and be a data scientist oh. because as quantum comes along we're going to need a lot more data scientists because there's gonna we're gonna be able to analyze these data points much quicker. And if you're an AI person, then you want to understand quantum because quantum is gonna give us real true AI. Real true human-like AI. Not the AI we see today. The AI, the AI we see today is is naturally flawed and it's slow. Like ride in a Tesla in ludicrous mode, then get into like a Camaro.
1: Yeah, I mean because it's still bound by conventional computing. But Correct. I mean cer- but it certainly is useful in a lot of things. It's no, not, I'm I, and that's why I'm not commit I'm sure someone's coming on your show and committed AI ML to your
0: graveyard.
1: jar. Yes, yes, no, that. I'm, I'm gonna be the last person to do that.
0: No, but but that's why I think real um that's why I think that's where I think quantum is really special, by the way. I think quantum is very special in the fact that it would enable true AI. And I mean true AI, not the restricted AI we have today. Not to say that we don't have it, but AI is much slower than it should be. So quantum,
1: qu- quantum leap, right? It'll what be a
0: qu it? I love that. That's so good. You're such a geek. Yay. <laughs> all right. What's the uh what what book are you reading right now?
1: You know what? I'm not reading a lot of books right now. I'm just consuming like articles all over the place. Uh and that's disappointing because I used to read like continuously. Like when my wife was pregnant, I read the entire Dune series, like all of them, Uh, except for the ones by the sun. He's not as good. But all the Frank Herbert stuff, I read all of them. Mm -hmm. Um, But I would also say like the three-body trilogy by Six and Lou is really awesome Um, and depressing by the third book. If you don't know anything about it, I'll, I'll give a huge spoiler. It is that it starts with the Chinese Cultural Revolution and it ends with the heat death of the universe. So it's a it's a pretty big story in terms of timelines. Wow, you just you just gave me a spoiler alert. Yeah, sorry. And everything ends with the heat death of the universe, though. So yeah,
0: almost. I mean, even the Bible ends with the end of the world, right?
1: So, <laughs> uh, what's your uh, what's the last movie you saw? Um, I think it's called I I care I really care a lot or I care a lot. Or I like care that. a lot, yeah, on Yeah. Yeah, it's, a, it's another one of those Netflix movies where you're like they got in the algorithm into your brain and it just tells you this will be an okay movie. And then they created that movie and then they they put it in front of you and you consume it. It's very interesting how those platforms are now so good at creating the content just based on this will be all right. getting
0: you to watch it yeah i like confusing the live in hell out of my netflix algorithm at this point its recommendations to me make no sense it's got adam sandler bill burr samuel (laughs) l jackson um a bunch of jason Statham, and then a bunch of documentaries about hitler and world war ii all right like the algorithm just looks at me and goes who the hell are you and like Every time I do something, like I mess with the algorithm all day long. All day long. All right. Two final questions here. Your favorite music? Uh, Indie and hardcore metal. Love it. And what's one thing you took away from SolarWinds?
1: Uh, SolarWinds 1, 2, 3. No, I, <laughs> I, I mean, we just see the... I mean the intern blame things fun, but but just overall just it's interesting to see a supply chain hack. But then also, you know, how many organizations were affected. But then that fire eye found it. I think that it it shows that our government should be concerned more about defending themselves as well as defending us, rather than you know, some of the we don't conduct defensive operations stuff. I think that would be really helpful if if I felt like the NSA was more on my side. um, I mean, sure, certainly we have some good collaborations with the FBI and everything like that, but I, I think they could step it up. And and it is kind of weird that it had to be FireEye that found it. And that when that, when our government organizations do find things, it would be really nice if they could tell us instead of
0: Yeah, I agree. Um, that's something that I know a uh, former um, SISA director um, who ran the NKIC, John Felker, was very big on. He goes, We want to share information, but please. For the sake of God, when you share information with us, don't make it top secret. (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Not everything you share with us is top secret. When you make things top secret, every time you share it with them, um, you're slowing down the entire process of information sharing. So, awesome. Jarrell, thank you for coming on the show, man. I really appreciate it.
1: Thanks for having me, James. It's been
0: fun. This has has been an awesome episode, folks. Um, Jarel Van Oz from uh, Aquature. So make sure to uh, check him out, connect um, and, and let us know what you think. Comment and subscribe below. Another awesome Cisco Talk episode next week. Joining me will be the magnificent Monica Verma. We're going to be having an awesome conversation uh, across the Atlantic. So you don't want to miss that episode. Until then, folks, thanks so much for watching. Thanks so much for tuning in. Stay healthy and stay cyber safe. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast and share it with your friends and colleagues and get all the latest information at cyberhubpodcast.com.